Well, it's good to see all you after, after a good, nice, warm summer of multiple 120-degree days. Uh, just before we introduce the speaker, just wanted to let you know, one of the things we're really shooting for this year with these surge lunches is having a lot of time to converse with each other and get to know each other around the table. So we'll have speakers, uh, and we'll do Q&A, but there will also be a lot of uh, discussion and uh, breaking bread together and connecting with one another. With that said, uh, I want to introduce our speaker, Jamin Goggin. Um, you should know a few things about him. One is that he is a, a local pastor in North San Diego County. Um, he r lives a uh, rough existence climate-wise, but um, he, uh, he's also written a couple of books that have shaped many of us in here. Uh, the most recent one, along with Kyle Strobel, The Way of the Dragon, Way of the Lamb, uh, I know has provoked a lot of conversation among us uh, in this room, many of us. And if you haven't read it, I'm encouraging you to do so, and you probably will after today. Um, just so you know, if, you, if you're not familiar with the book, it's not a martial arts instruction handbook. It has nothing to do with Bruce Lee and his faith or anything like that, um, but it's about some really important stuff that we need to be wrestling with, and Jamin is going to go ahead and introduce us to that. So would you give him a hand as he comes up here? Good to be with you guys. Thanks for coming out. I know that taking time out of your schedule to hear some guy talk for a little bit is, uh, is, is a risky proposition, right? And uh, there's a lot going on in your lives and your ministries, and so... Um, Honor that you're here, and um, for me, it's an opportunity to um, to really open my heart to what the Lord is doing. And what I love about traveling and speaking—I don't do it a ton because I have four small children—but uh, what I love about it is it's a constant reminder that God's doing a whole bunch of stuff, and I have nothing to do with it. And that's a really good thing. And you, you, this room represents God doing a whole bunch of stuff in a city I know very little little about. And so, um, thank you. It's good to be with you. Several years ago, um, I had a conversation that stopped me dead in my tracks. Uh, I've been in ministry for many years. And uh, those many years have, have furnished opportunities to see beautiful, wonderful things in the life of the church, within my own church, within other churches. But what those many years has also brought is enough time and experience to hear the stories that really pain you. Stories of spiritual abuse in the life of the church, stories of burnout and moral failure by pastors. But for most of my pastoral Life, those stories were always kind of distant, removed from my immediate context in life. Sometimes occasionally touching some relationships of people I knew or happened to know, but not really very close to home. And so this conversation that stopped me dead in my tracks was a conversation that brought all those distant stories very close to home for me. A very close friend, someone that I had grown up with, spent many, many years walking the Christian life with, who had grown into pastoral ministry alongside of me in his own context, called me late in the evening to let me know that he'd been caught. And a long pause in the conversation on the phone gave rise to a little more detail, that his wife had found the text messages, that 
his affair was now exposed and out in the open. This relationship was now fully known by his wife and also fully known by the senior pastor of his church. He had been called into the church office that afternoon and had been let go from his position in ministry. And so we we met the next morning over breakfast for further dialogue. And obviously there, there are elements of that conversation that just as a personal friend were incredibly painful and grievous for me. But what I found going on in me during the course of the conversation was this growing uncomfortability. (laughs) And the uncomfortability wasn't hooked or attached to how gross or sinister the sin was in his life. Again, I'd been a pastor long enough to hear a lot about sin in people's lives. But the growing uncomfortability was this sense throughout the conversation that what was really going on in his heart was a mere kind of exposing things going on in my own heart. And while I heard a story of a man who had distanced himself relationally from his wife, who'd entered into an inappropriate relationship with another woman, who'd taken that to places that were deeply troubling and concerning, that was headed towards divorce, What I also heard underneath all of that was a man who was crushed under the weight of feeling like he had to hold it all together. What I heard underneath all of that was a man who had great talent and ability. He had the it factor, whatever that is, and had been moved into positions of leadership well beyond his spiritual and emotional maturity. And once he found himself in this place, felt this great burden and weight to need to kind of maintain this perception that others had of him. And the the grandiosity and selfish ambition and pride that had really driven much of his ministry life had now been baptized and actually anointed as gifts in the kingdom. Signs that he was ready for the big lights and the big show and the big stage. And all of those realities, the grandiosity, the pride, the selfishness, the the affirmation of vices made beautiful in the kingdom, the sense of burden and stress and anxiety to keep it up, to maintain this kind of false self of spiritual maturity, it had led him to a point of utter loneliness, exhaustion, fear. And out of that, came a desire for an escape, an outlet, a place removed from all these realities that felt suffocating in his life. And as I heard all of that, what made me really uncomfortable was I knew all that stuff in my own heart. I, I hadn't, at that point, nor have I since, walked the direction he ended up walking, making some of the choices he ended up making in his marriage and in relationships with others. I haven't fallen prey to those sins, but I knew that stuff of the heart. I knew the temptation to, to use ministry as a platform for my own glory. I knew that pressure to maintain a sense of spiritual maturity and kind of gravitas that went way beyond what was actually true of my own heart because others expected that of me. 
for years and years early in my life in ministry, the constant narrative I heard was, you're wise beyond your years. You have the it factor. You're going to be a senior pastor one day. We can see it. And the truth was, from those early years in life and ministry, I had drunk deeply at that well. I had really taken that in. And so this moment with this friend was, it, it, it was like this mirroring moment of all this stuff in my heart and ultimately where it could lead, where it could lead. The, the truth was, I think, I had kind of embraced this really odd notion of morality we have up and running in our evangelical church culture these days, particularly around pastors and leadership. You know? this, this notion that things like selfish ambition and pride and grandiosity are not only maybe just kind of okay, but actually are kind of needed and, and, and in service to really accomplishing big kingdom things. That, that the ethical lines really are just whether or not you sleep with the secretary or not. And that became really troubling to me. Not only because I saw where some of these deeper vices of the heart really led him, but what I began to see was, even if I don't end up there, these realities of my heart are toxic. They're sinister, they're dangerous, and they're harmful. And so, began a conversation with my friend Kyle around this season. And the, the Lord in his own way kind of used a couple moments in our lives, separate from one another and together as friends, to kind of expose these realities in our own hearts. This kind of form of power we had embraced in ministry that had nothing to do with Jesus and his cross. And we determined to kind of set out on a journey to explore that a bit more to kind of keep holding the mirror open up to our heart and to remain open to the Lord about what was really going on inside of us. That we were really going to take Jesus' words seriously. Now, I, I, I think oftentimes when we read through the Gospels, Jesus has these really odd things to say. And, and if you're anything like me, even as a pastor still, there's those moments where Jesus kind of says something and it's kind of like the crazy things Jesus says, you know, and you just kind of take it and go, okay, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and you keep reading, right? Things like the first will be last and the last will be first and do not seek the seats of honor and I came not to be served but to serve and turn the other cheek. I mean, it's got to be all like hyperbole, right? <laughs> and Kyle and I entered into this journey really seeking to take seriously these words of Jesus and take seriously what God was kind of exposing in our own hearts. And what we determined really early on was that this journey was going to require more than just kind of study and self-reflection, but really sitting at the feet of sages of the faith, men and women who had embraced a different kind of power in ministry who had truly powerful ministries, whether through writing or pastoring or shepherding or teaching, but that their posture spoke of a different kind of way. It wasn't marked by selfish ambition and pride and jealousy and grandiosity and platform building, but it was marked by these kind of serious statements by Jesus. That they seem to really take these things seriously, and their life and ministry over 40, 50, 60, 70 years seem to really bear out a commitment to this way. 
And along this journey, sitting with folks like Dallas Willard before he passed away, and John Vanier, and J.I. Packer, and James Houston, and Marva Don, and John Perkins, and Eugene Peterson, popular man of the day in the news, isn't he? What we began to see was this consistent thread. That indeed in ministry, we're called to embrace a certain kind of power. But it's a power now formed and shaped by the way of Jesus and the cross. It's a power known in weakness for the sake of love. And what we saw in every conversation with each of these individuals was the way that really began to bear itself out in someone's life over 40, 50, 60 years. And the genuinely powerful impact that has in accomplishing God's purposes. One passage in particular that during the course of our conversations, we kept kind of coming back to over and over and over and over again was James chapter 3. And so I'll do that thing that we pastors like to do. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 3. Or maybe I should say it this way. If you have your iPad or iPhone, flick your finger and find James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. This passage for us became kind of a focal point, a place we kind of continue to return to over and over again that helped begin to kind of frame for us these kind of two opposing ways of power. One marked by control and for the sake of more control. And one marked by an embrace of weakness and for the sake of love and self-giving. And as we begin to think about the, our temptations of our own heart, and as we begin to see a different way in these kind of sages of the faith, what we begin to see in this passage from James was, I think, some helpful language that Scripture now furnishes for us in, in, in distinguishing and discerning these two ways of power and how they show up in ministry. And so James chapter 3, verse 13. We'll read verses 13 through 18. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be, hear these words, brothers and sisters, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you hear the distinction that James is drawing for us here in the text? There's there's two ways up and running in this passage. James, of course, throughout his entire, picking up, laying to a wisdom tradition. And particularly in this passage, we hear him kind of picking up language that we're very familiar with in wisdom literature and in Scripture. This notion of two ways, right? And in wisdom literature, what we often hear is it's the way of the fool versus the way of the wise. 
James here is kind of picking up this notion, and he's developing it further now in light of what it means to live life in Christ by the Spirit. And what he's, he's warning about is that there's a way, a certain way of kind of wisdom or power in ministry and in life that, in fact, can look quite right. As he says, do not deceive yourselves and be false to the truth. Or as wisdom literature would say, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in what? Death. James is saying something similar here. It may look right to you. It may look powerful and impactful. It may look like everything's headed the right direction. Kind of all the outward signs and markers look like things are going well. But where does James point? I'm not so concerned with all that. I'm not so concerned with number counts of baptisms and butts and seats. I'm concerned with the condition of the heart here. And what I'm concerned with is what? Selfish ambition and jealousy. When we sat with Marva Dawn, uh, sat with her in my office in Orange County several years ago, and she and I talked about this passage in particular, and she, as she was reflecting on the passage, she said, you, you know where you need to go to find selfish ambition and jealousy? Just go to a pastor's conference. And she narrated this experience of being at a conference as a, guest, as a speaker herself and being in the back green room with all the important people, you know, the elite pastors, right, the ones on stage, the really anointed ones in the room. Sarcasm is intended. Okay. And it, just observing the conversations and being a part of the conversations and hearing the, the subtle competition and the comparison in church sizes and the how long have you been there and the how did you accomplish that and the here's how many campuses we have and here's our next plan for the future to grow and all those conversations swirling in the room. And she said, and you know what I was thinking, Jamin? And, and pause for a moment. Here's what Jamin was thinking as she was sharing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it my whole life in ministry. Yeah, I, I get it. I, you know, I've been around that. I've been a part of that. It's sad. It's disappointing. It, some people embrace kind of a model of ministry I don't really like. It's, you know, so what? She said, you know what I was thinking? And I, I said, well, what were you thinking? And I was thinking, this is demonic. Do you feel the way I felt in the moment? Yeah. And all that kind of inner monologue of, yeah, 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 I've seen it my whole life in ministry. And I know it's not ideal, and I know it's maybe not quite the, the best scenario. But, you know, it, you know, it's just different models of ministry, different leadership styles. And some people have this style. Some people have that style. And, and what Marva was getting at is, no, this is an issue of spiritual warfare. And this isn't kind of just some notion she's come up with on her own, a way of kind of being more harsh about the issue. But for her, it's anchored in this text. For what does James tell us here? The way of selfish ambition and jealousy is what? The way of the world and the flesh and the devil, according to James. Do you see it there in the text? It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. It kind of recalibrates our understanding of what morality is, doesn't it? What the stakes are here in the game. That when we embrace a certain kind of power in ministry, 
platform building and control and seeking to have a stage and using people for our own advantage to feel more self-important. These things are markers that we've embraced a way that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I got to say, I felt really uncomfortable after that conversation. (laughs) But what the Lord continued to do, as he had done with me in this conversation with my friend that I began with, is he kept mirroring to me what was really going on in my heart. And dividing and cutting and speaking the truth. And I knew I had to keep leaning in. The, the, the truth is, what I found in my heart after that conversation and after several of these conversations with these sages, as I continue to kind of open to this truth of there's two different ways. There's the way from below and the way from above. There's a way that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And there's a way that actually sows righteousness and peace and goodness and gentleness. And that these are opposing ways. And I can deceive myself into thinking I've embraced the right way when, in fact, I'm rejecting Jesus and his way. Even in ministry. What began to surface for me was the ways in which I do this. And what the Lord began to bring up in prayer for me and in conversation with Kyle is my strategies for kind of hiding and avoiding this reality. One of them for me for most of my life in ministry has been a quick turn to kind of adorn this kind of way from below with Christian platitudes of leadership. It's amazing how easy it is for me to self-talk my way into turning what is evil into a good. You know, my maybe I'm the only one with that problem in the room, but can you relate to that? You know, my my, my grandiosity and desire to do big things to feel self-important was kind of always explained away in my own mind as having bold faith, dreaming big for the kingdom, My kind of leaning on and leveraging my own talents and abilities to kind of get it done rather than embracing my weakness and understanding that the Spirit is the only one that kind of gets it done was explained as stewarding my gifts well and my education. Man, it's easy to do, isn't it? Because is there a thread of truth even in those things? Yes? Yeah. Yeah. But what I was doing was seeking to hide and avoid this deeper reality of what was really at work. And avoiding the the kind of shuddering truth that embracing this way of grandiosity and selfish ambition and pride. And this this is the way of the devil. So one strategy in my own life and ministry for avoiding this truth was to adorn what were vices with the, tra- the kind of garments of Christian leadership platitudes and keep forging ahead. It was pretty easy to do as well because I find that there are many others who are willing to affirm that in me. Very few who are willing to call it into question. Another strategy over the years that has caused me to move away from really seeing these truths and wrestling with the stark reality that Marva spoke to and that James speaks to here is 
kind of this, this subtle belief, probably never articulated out loud, but kind of up and running in my heart, that the ends justify the means. Right? That as long as kind of good things are happening, it doesn't really matter how we get there. More people, more salvations, more baptisms. It, if that's going on, everything we're doing must be right, right? We think about that. <laughs> Turn with me to a passage in Galatians, Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. It was after this conversation with Marva and the exposure of what it really meant to embrace selfish ambition and grandiosity and pride in ministry, what it really meant spiritually. And after kind of processing my own ways of avoiding that, by kind of covering in a cloak of virtue and by assuming the ends justify the means that the Lord moved me into this passage from the Apostle Paul, Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. This was a good word for me. I was deceiving myself. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And then Paul closes with a bit of encouragement, which is nice, because these verses really stung me at the time. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul here, much like James, is appealing to an axiom of wisdom literature that's well-worn in the biblical text. This, this notion of sowing and reaping. This isn't a new notion that Paul's come up with. And what Paul says is much of what we find in wisdom literature, that what you sow, you will reap. And here, what he's drawing out for us is that if we sow in the flesh, we will reap in the flesh. But if we sow in the Spirit, we will reap in the Spirit. In other words, in the kingdom of God, the ends do not justify the means. Or to say it a little differently in the words of late Dallas Willard, it's not just about doing Jesus' things, but doing them Jesus' way. Jesus is very clear on this. See the conversation with Jesus and Peter and tell me how serious he is about this. No, no, Jesus, we're going to get to the glory and all that, but we're not going to go to the cross. <laughs> you must have missed the plan. And what is Jesus' response to Peter? You do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. And then he makes the same move that James makes and that Marvin made. What does he say? Get behind me, Satan. Wow. You're embracing another way of getting to where we're supposed to go. And this is satanic. It's demonic. It's evil. Jesus doesn't mince words. What Paul draws out for us here is that what we sow in ministry, we will indeed reap. If we sow in the flesh, we will reap in the flesh. If we sow in the spirit, we will reap in the spirit. And, and that word of encouragement here at the end of the passage, for me, has been one I've gripped tight to amidst that. 
Because you know what I'm finding? This is not romantic. Like embracing a way of power where we embrace our weakness and dependence upon Christ, where we don't seek to control the outcomes, but we entrust them to him, where we aim towards love, even if it means risking our lives. That sounds great, but doing it is just really hard. People agree? It's really hard. It sounds great in a book where I interview a bunch of people who are really wise, right? But the truth of how that's borne out in their own lives, how that bears out in our own lives, it's very difficult. It's kind of like taking up a cross and following Jesus. And so Paul's encouragement is this. Do not grow weary in doing good. Because he knows what? We will. (laughs) Because... If we sow in the flesh, here's the tempting and alluring thing about the way from below, a way of power in the flesh, in the world, and the devil, a way of power to control and get things done and leverage our abilities to make it happen. You know what's alluring about that? The flesh has a pretty quick kickback payoff. Have you noticed this? It does have a certain kind of fruit, and it oftentimes comes up a lot quicker. There's a payoff to it. We don't grow weary there. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm getting what I want. But it's the commitment to another way, a way from above, a way of power and weakness for the sake of love, a way of embracing gentleness and sowing in righteousness and peace and humility. This is the long road. Or as Eugene would say, a long obedience in the same direction. And so Paul's encouragement to hear here is one that I hold on to tightly. Jamin, you will grow weary in this way. It's not easy. It's hard. It's oftentimes very lonely. I have found that when I was walking the other way in ministry, the companions were many. The path was well-worn. And I have found, as I seek to embrace this new way, I don't have as many companions. The path doesn't feel as well-worn in the context I'm in. And that can be burdensome and grievous and lonely. And yet, this is where the real power is in the kingdom. Amen? Because, my friends, what we're after, what we're after is real power. I, I want to be clear on that. The answer to power mongering and power gone awry is not to eschew all power but to actually trust in and believe in what Christ tells us about where power is really found. Real power in the kingdom is known in weakness and dependence upon Christ. Right? Right? Yeah. He's calling us to genuinely powerful ministries, right? He entrusts us with the power of the gospel that is what, according to Timothy? The power unto what? Salvation. It's the only power that matters for anything. It's not a power that promises you you'll be in control and you'll build all your programs the way you want and you'll have the biggest church on the block and everyone will know you and you'll eventually be a celebrity pastor who sells books and speaks at the important conferences. The power of the gospel doesn't, it doesn't offer that payoff. But it's the power that leads to salvation. The only thing that really matters He gives us that. 
in Christ by the Spirit now. In closing, and hopefully we'll kind of continue the dialogue, I, um, I'm sensitive to the fact, and, and maybe my discernment of the room is wrong, but I'm sensitive to the fact that there's a little bit of like a one hearing this. That's how it felt for me during the process of writing this book for six years. Just kind of a, oh, I don't really know what to do with that. And what I want to close with is an encouragement to you all. Do not grow weary in doing good. And know that the truth of ministry is this. We just are in a position of power. Period. How many corridors in our culture are there where a bunch of people show up regularly to hear someone talk? or to gather around something someone's written, or teaching, or doing. Not many, would you agree? The, the, the truth is, we are in a position of influence and power. And the truth also is that it's that position of influence and power that also attracts very unhealthy people. There was a study done two years ago in, in Canada, and I, I don't think that this would be, well, you, you'll have to judge whether you think this is starkly different from the United States. The study was done assessing uh, the degree of narcissistic personality disorder in pastors versus the general population. 2015, Canada. I'm not making this up. Compared to the general population, region-wide in Canada, and we're assuming Canada is not just more prideful than America, right? 400% greater in the population of pastors than the general population on average. That's the low end. It's ranged from 400 to 500%. Wow. <laughs> so the truth is our vocation is one vested with power. It just is. Influence, impact. Right? And this is not a bad thing, but it is a dangerous thing. And we must be vigilant to watch over our hearts. Paul will say this to Timothy, right? Guard yourself. Guard what has been entrusted to you, which is the gospel, the power unto salvation, and watch over your own life. Watch over yourself with diligence. For this position of power and influence, it comes with it a great temptation, doesn't it? To begin wielding that and using that for one's own gain. To begin leveraging our own gifts and abilities to kind of make it happen. And so my encouragement to you is do not grow weary in doing good. And my encouragement to you is embrace the truth that in ministry we simply are in a position of power. And what does it mean now to kind of out that reality and begin to speak honestly with the Lord in prayer and with people that really know us and kind of, kind of hold our lives in account? What's going on in our hearts in the midst of that? Draw near to God and to others in the truth of yourself. I wrote a book on this. I spent six years on it. And you, you know what the reality is on the back end? Every day of ministry, I have to begin the morning with, Lord, so much of my heart wants to use this for my own gratification. Lord, when things aren't going well, 
so much of me wants to just kind of take control and make it happen. Lord, so much of me wants to be somewhere bigger, more important, and more noticed. It's still true in my heart. Watch over our hearts. And so my encouragement to you is, if you find that you're tempted with these things, what I want to say is, of course you are. (laughs) Welcome to the club. Now the call of God in our lives is to now begin opening our hearts to the Lord. Or would you speak the truth of my heart to me? What's really going on in this? Would you invite me into another way? And to begin exposing that to other people, trusted people in our lives who can, who can actually prod and ask, not just affirm things that are really dangerous. And in so doing, to not grow weary in doing good. So let me close in prayer, and then I think we'll have some dialogue. But would you pray with me? Father, you are the almighty, everlasting, immortal, invisible one, the maker of all things, the redeemer, the sanctifier. Oh, how we need you, Lord. Father, you've called us to a peculiar vocation, a unique one. It's a great calling. And yet it comes with it certain temptations. Much like Satan in the wilderness with Christ Jesus, we find ourselves often tempted to make things happen on our own, to make a show of it, to seek for glory apart from the cross. Lord, we together, we, we, we confess this reality. Would you lead us in a better way? Would you point us towards real kingdom power? Would you use us? Would you invite us to participate in the real work that you are doing? Would you set our feet towards the aim of love? Just for a moment, in the quietness of your own heart, would you prayerfully just kind of consider this question with the Lord? kind of power are you embracing in ministry right now? I, I know after a talk like this, that's, that's a heavy question. It's, it's heavy, but the Lord already knows the truth of your heart. It's safe to be honest with him. To what degree are you embracing kind of the way from below, as James says, a worldly kind of power? In what ways are you using ministry for self-gratification? Is your ambition steamrolling over other people? Are you using people as resources rather than seeing them as people to love? And to what degree and in what ways are you embracing his way? Where do you see the fruit of the Spirit's work in how you're ministering? For all of us, it's a mixed bag. So just sit with that question for a moment. What kind of power are you embracing in ministry? So, Father, we thank you for this time together. and uh, um, We thank you for the, the, the togetherness 
that we have in this, that um, we do not walk alone in ministry. And this room is a reminder of that, and what a good thing that is, what a gift that is. So would you, would you bless our conversations with your very presence? Pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.